this morning, I, I want to continue to reflect on uh, the coming of Jesus. Uh, so we're taking a little break on, uh, on our study on the book of James, and we'll turn to Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5. We'll go ahead and um, just put your finger there. Uh, our New Testament reading is from Matthew chapter 2, the first uh, six verses. Matthew chapter 2. Um, beginning in verse 1. A beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus, uh, this is God's holy, infallible, and abiding word. Uh, Give your full attention to it. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Now let's turn to uh, Micah chapter 5. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, and in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Uh, Grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of our God abides or stands forever. Let us pray. Father, uh, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Open your holy word to us that we might see wonderful things out of your law. Humble us and form us more and more into the image of our Savior. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let me open by telling you a little about Micah, uh, just in case you haven't read the book in a while. 
Uh, or maybe you haven't read the book before. I, I don't know. Uh, anyway, M- Micah is a prophet, and, and you know what's up with prophets. Uh, they don't sugarcoat things. They tell us how it is. They warn often with biting and harsh words uh, of people's sin, and Micah is no exception. Uh, he actually tells us his mission in chapter 3, verse 8, uh, where he says, But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Uh, and just like other prophets, uh, Micah also gives Israel and us uh, comforting hope in the midst of judgment. And that's really what we have in our passage. Uh, and it's probably one of the most, if not the most, memorable section of the book. Uh, maybe because of how much hope it gives us during this time of the year, as we consider again the significance of Jesus' advent and incarnation. And so it's a familiar text, no doubt. Uh, In it, God promises to give us a ruler in whom we can put our hope in. Uh, So here's what I want us to see this morning from this text. And it's simply this. God loves to give us hope in the insignificant places of our lives. God loves to give us hope in the insignificant places of our lives. Uh, But before Micah can tell us about hope, he first uh, paints a gloom picture. He says uh, in verse 1, Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. O daughter of troops. uh, That's a reference uh, to Jerusalem. Uh, The great city of Jerusalem is on the brink of exile. Uh, They're about to be taken away by that great powerhouse uh, known as Babylon. A life as they know it, it was about to never be the same again. They were going back to a life of slavery and hardship, uh, the kind of life they once lived in Egypt. And Micah is basically, basically saying to them, uh, do you think you can do something about what's, what's coming? Uh, then go gather the troops. See if that's going to change anything. Uh, our enemies are coming. And they're going to surround the city. They're going to take us all away. Uh, and you know the situation is bad when your ruler is brought, is brought down. Uh, Israel's king is humiliated. The Babylonians have struck him on the the cheek with their rod. Uh, Now, that striking of the cheek, it's symbolic, it's a a symbolic act of Babylon's power over him, or the king, and Israel. Uh, There's actually a play on words here in the Hebrew, uh, where the word for ruler sounds like the word for rod, Right? Israel's ruler is put to shame by the rod of Babylon. Uh, And at this point in Israel's history, this ruler was probably uh, King Jehoiachin. Uh, He was the king of Judah during this time. Uh, It was then that Jehoiachin was forced to surrender to Nebuchadnezzar, and he was sent into exile. Uh, just as Jeremiah, remember when we were in Jeremiah, 
uh, Jeremiah prophesied. Uh, and so, and so it seems like it seems like David David's line is about to be cut off. It seems like God is not making good on His promise at this point by taking the king away. Uh, but here's the thing: uh, Babylon might be powerful; they might have captured Israel and their king. But this isn't really about how powerful they were. Uh, this is really about God's discipline on His people. This is ultimately about God's judgment on them. Because if you read the rest of the book of Micah, you'll see that Israel has been unjust. Their king and their leaders have been corrupt. And the rich have oppressed the poor. And as judgment, God is sending them where they don't want to go. He's going to discipline them in Babylon. I mean, think about it again, right? God's, God's throne is under threat here. Will there be a king on David's throne? Has God broken his promise by sending away Israel and the king? Judgment... I think oftentimes we think of it as, as a curse. But God means it for Israel to be a blessing. And that's the thing. Judgment doesn't mean God has broken his promise here. God keeps faith even when he judges us. He's, because he's the promise-keeping God even when we feel defeated. Uh, I want you to think about what it would be like to be under siege for a moment. What would it be like to be surrounded by a violent people who are about to take you and make you their slaves? What would that be like? Uh, I imagine many of us, if not all of us, would be in despair. Uh, we'd feel utterly helpless and defeated. Our hearts would be full of anguish and fear. We'd, f- we'd feel... Very weak and small. It seems like a hopeless situation. But not everything is what it seems in the big picture. Because with God, there's always hope. Even in in a place like exile. In fact, for God, it's the perfect place to find hope. Because exile strips us of ourselves. And God has to bring us to the end of ourselves if He's going to give us lasting hope. Uh, It must come entirely outside of ourselves, and we must find it completely in God. I mean, when does God give us hope? I mean, think about it in your own life, right? When does He give you hope? It's not when you feel self-sufficient. It's not when you think you have it all together. He gives us hope when we're weak when we feel small and insignificant. It is in that context, in the context of exile, that Micah gives us a big but. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, but you who are too little, God says, I'm going to do something in you. I'll bring you big hope in a small place. Out of your defeat, I will sound a note of victory. Because one day a great king will come from you. 
Uh, as you know, Bethlehem is such a significant place in the Bible. Uh, we got a glimpse of this uh, in Pastor Brett's sermon last week. Bethlehem is where Jesse was born. It's where David was born. It's where Obed was born. And most of all, it's where Jesus was born. Without Bethlehem, there would be no Advent. Without Advent, we would have no hope. So Bethlehem is significant. But as significant as Bethlehem is, it's also really insignificant. Because think about the physical place of Bethlehem. It was small. It was tiny. Micah says it's too little to even be among the clans of Judah. In other words, Bethlehem was the runt of the litter in Judah. No one took notice of her. She might as well have been invisible. And in fact, she was treated as such. Uh, But if you know anything about God, this place is fertile soil. For God, it's the kind of place where hope can grow. And so what I want us to see is that Bethlehem is more than a geographical location. Because it's a reflection of the kinds of people that God chooses for himself. You get that? Take David, for instance. David was from Bethlehem, right? But do you remember how he was chosen to be the king of Israel? After Saul kept messing up, right, and God rejected him as king, uh, God told the prophet Samuel to, uh, to pick out the next king of Israel. He said, uh, go to Bethlehem, anoint one of Jesse's sons. He'll be the next one uh, to be king. And so Samuel goes to Bethlehem, uh, to Jesse's house, and what does he see? He sees Jesse's first son, Eliab. Uh, He basically says, this has to be him. He looks like a king. He's tall and he's handsome. How can it not be him? God doesn't say, oh, you're right, Samuel. Uh, He's very impressive. He's tall and good-looking. No, God tells Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. So it wasn't Eliab. In fact, it wasn't the next six of Jesse's sons. The next king would be Jesse's eighth son, David. Uh, But you know... Uh, David wasn't even invited to the sacrifice, to the anointing of the king. But where was he? He was outside taking care of the dirty sheep, protecting them from bears and other uh, predators, uh, which, by the way, will be what this promised king will be like. He'll be a shepherd. Uh, But David's own dad didn't think he would be king In a million years. Why? Because he was too small. He was the runt of the litter, right? Just like Bethlehem. Uh, But God chose David in all of his weakness and insignificance. And so do you see, it's not an accident that God would choose Bethlehem. That he would choose a small and insignificant place. It's not an afterthought. Because God always chooses the small and the lowly. 
uh, this theme that God choosing the small and the insignificant, that's all over our Bibles, right? Once you see it, you can't unsee it. Uh, one of our uh, favorite passages is from 1 Corinthians 1, me and my family, that is. Uh, we actually have this hanging on our uh, living room wall where Paul says, But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And so Micah says, Out of the small town of Bethlehem will come a ruler. He will bring Israel out of exile. He will deliver them out of their captivity. Uh, But it's important that we know this. Uh, This isn't just any ruler. He's from old, from ancient days, Micah says. I mean, what, what in the world does that mean? So this king's origin is from old, Uh, But he'll one day be born to rule Israel. What what in the world is that? He's he's from old, but he will be born. That's kind of strange if you think about it. But I think the best explanation for this is pretty simple. Um, Micah is alluding to an eternal king. A king who will come in the flesh. Uh, And even more, this eternal king will be God himself. I think of Jesus saying to the Pharisees, Truly, truly, I I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Uh, You see, Micah wants Israel to set their hope in the coming of their God. That he himself will rule over them. Not Nebuchadnezzar, not Jehoiachin, or any other king, but God himself. That's their hope. Uh, But I want you to notice what happens before this king is born. Uh, Micah says, this king shall give them up. That is, God will allow Israel to be taken captive. They'll have to wait as aliens and outcasts in a foreign land. Uh, Imagine what it what it feels like to wait as exiles. I mean, by the way, we all are exiles, even right now. According to Peter, we're sojourners and exiles in this world. And so we don't really have to imagine too hard what it would be like. But what, is it, what does that feel like, to wait as exiles? I think Micah gives us uh, a picture of this in the text. It's like the woman in labor, about to give birth to the future ruler, right? Let me just say, if, if you're a mother, you know what this is like. Y'all are, are, are powerful. You know how hard it is to wait for your baby to be born. It's hard and it's painful. And the rest of us can only imagine what that's like, what the anguish is like. But the waiting won't be in vain, because when the labor is done, then God will come and redeem Israel from exile. 
Uh, Micah actually made this point in chapter 4. He said, Writhe and groan, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor. For now you shall go out from the city and dwell in the open country. You shall go to Babylon. There you shall be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. Uh, If you're thinking that sounds like the Christian life, then you're right. Uh, God doesn't promise that we don't go through hardship and pain, that we don't experience suffering and judgment. We're even destined to undergo death. Uh, But you know what? That's life in exile. But here's the point I want to make. Those difficult and painful places in our lives are precisely the places where God loves to give us hope. Those are the places that God meets us with grace. When Israel's hope becomes a reality, Micah says their king will stand. Standing here is a posture of endurance and perseverance. Uh, It means his rule will continue forever. It will never fail. Why? Well, because this king will never fade away like, like all the other kings of this world. You know, they rise up to power and then they die. They fade away, but not so with this king. This king, after all, is eternal. So his reign will be permanent because he stands forever. By the way, do you know what else stands forever in the Bible? Well, it's the Bible, God's Word. Uh, Remember how I ended our scripture reading earlier? The grass withers, flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever or endures forever. So God's word stands forever, and this promised king's rule will stand forever. I mean, who else could this be but the Lord Jesus? Jesus is the enduring word of God, which means he's also the enduring king. But just exactly what kind of king is he? He's not an oppressive or domineering king. No, he's a gentle and patient king because he has a pastoral heart. Uh, Micah tells us that he's a shepherd like David. He will care for his sheep so they will live in safety. I I, I love how Micah describes it. You know, they shall dwell secure. God's sheep will be secure because this king will defend them with his life. He will fight for them in the Lord's strength and in the name of the Lord his God. Uh, Or as Jesus puts it in John's gospel, he will be their good shepherd who will lay down his life for the sheep. And when he appears... When the shepherd appears, then his greatness will be made known. And not just to Israel, but the whole world. This king's greatness and rule extends to us who were far off. And so it turns out he's not just some local ruler. He won't just rule a small portion of land in the Middle East. Because he'll be a cosmic king. His rule will be universal. The nations, us, we will be included in that rule. That's good news, beloved. Because it means we have a place in all of this. 
The hope that Israel has is the same hope that we have. That this king will come and be our shepherd. Uh, Micah wraps it all up in one sentence. Uh, He says in verse 5, And he shall be their peace. Uh, I, I don't know if there's anything more comforting than that. That God has a deep desire for our wholeness. That when he comes, he will drive away all of our fears and give our peace uh, and give peace to our hearts. That's what Jesus' advent is all about. He came in the flesh to give us peace. You can't read Micah 5 and not see Jesus. Jesus is God's promised king who came to rule in the strength of his father. He himself become, would become our peace. But just as Micah prophesied, he first had to be born in Bethlehem, a place of weakness and insignificance. Isn't Bethlehem such a fitting place for Jesus to be born in? Jesus wasn't born in a big place like Babylon or even Jerusalem. He was born in Bethlehem, a place that says something about the kind of king that he is. Because if you think about it, Jesus embodied his birthplace his entire life. Like Bethlehem, Jesus on the surface was so unimpressive. I mean, what's so impressive about a small crying infant? Yet he is the ancient of days. What's so impressive about a weak and lowly homeless man? Yet he is the eternal king. What's so impressive about a man hanging naked on a cross? Yet he is the eternal God who saves us from our sins. You see, Jesus became a living Bethlehem. And in doing so, he disarmed the powerful. He even became an enemy of both the religious leaders, and the state. Uh, We saw this in our New Testament reading uh, earlier in Matthew 2. What did Matthew keep calling Herod? A king. Herod was the king. Yet, he and all of Jerusalem with him was powerless over the infant king in swaddling clothes. Advent teaches us that hope comes from small places. Jesus disarmed the power of darkness by becoming weak. Uh, The prophet Isaiah wrote this long ago. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out my beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. That's the gospel. The eternal king was struck down for us that we might have eternal hope. Uh, Let me close our time together uh, with a few reflections then. Uh, Where's your hope in the midst of all the chaos going on? In the midst of global pandemic, in the midst of lockdowns, riots, and divisions, in the midst of anxieties and depression, in the midst of your own struggle with sin, where's your hope? Now, I think many of us are looking for hope in all the wrong places. We look for hope in what seems big, in what seems successful. 
We'll put our hope in powerful people, in the money that we have, in the freedom we enjoy, in where our education can take us. Those are all the wrong places. But you know what? God gives you hope in the Bethlehems of your life. He wants to give you hope in what seems small and insignificant. He wants to give you hope in the places of pain and suffering in your life, in the places that seem mundane and ordinary. Because the coming of Jesus teaches us that God meets us in unexpected places. And and, and hope changes us, doesn't it? Hope allows us to wait for light while we sit in darkness. Because we know that when it seems like we're in complete darkness, God will bring light. When we live with that hope, we embody Bethlehem. We embody what the good news is all about. Uh, beloved, this is why you can find hope in this small, seemingly insignificant meal before us. The bread and the wine don't seem very impressive. Honestly, what we have right now tastes kind of yucky. They seem like nothing. But they are significant. Because they, they are emblems of hope for our souls. They proclaim and seal in our hearts the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. That because he became small, we can have a big hope. Amen? I'd like to invite uh, Elder Tim to come, that we might partake. Let's pray. O Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, how we praise you for the big love you have for a weak and small people like us. You have made yourself as nothing to bring us peace. Lord, We give you all the glory and honor, for you alone are worthy. Thank you for being our light in the midst of this dark and broken world. Fix our eyes on our eternal hope, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world. Change us that we might live out of the hope that we have in our coming King. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.